Well, we're in this series called I Serve, and this morning the message is Grateful to Serve, and I've kind of put a subtitle on this message, Grateful to Serve the New Math. And I'll tell you where I got uh, that title. It's from my baby girl sitting right there. Yeah? That happens, right? You show up. Grateful to Serve the New Math. So Georgia, we've transitioned back from Mongolia, and I'll tell you exactly where this came from. She was in school. We homeschool in Mongolia, but she came back to the school system here, and they have this new, uh, new math where the idea is you need to show your work. Georgia hadn't learned that, um, and so she brought home one of her first math tests, and uh, the teacher wrote beside one of, the, one of the problems, like, Georgia, that's the right answer, but how did you get there? Show me your work. How did you come up with this answer? And my baby girl wrote down her response, I used my head, right? Yeah. So I know you all know where Georgia got that kind of dry, sarcastic sense of humor. We prayed and prayed that she would have my personality and look like Terry, but somehow got mixed up, yeah? So that's where the title comes from, Georgia and the New Math. And as we've been making this transition back and we're talking about being grateful to serve, it seems like this, putting these together, grateful and serving for me is always consistently, constantly in my life, attention, a new math. It's something that I always have to come back to because I can believe in them separately. I believe in serving. I believe in gratitude. But sometimes when I put them together, There's a disconnect. I believe in serving. We served in Outer Mongolia. We had the privilege of serving in Outer Mongolia for 10 years. We came back. We built the school. We built the clinic. And we passed the mission off to the nationals. And it's been great to see them take the church and really move. And I am grateful. I'm grateful for a lot of things. We have a great house. I have a nice car. I'm grateful for the gifts that God has given me. But I'll take it one step further. I'll be a little more spiritual in my response. I'll, since it's Sunday, I'll pretend I'm a Christian and say things that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for my family, yeah? I'm grateful for my wife, who stood by me through it all. I am grateful for my baby girl, who is, in my mind, a genius. She's innovative. She's creative. And I'm grateful for my son. My son has a tender heart. He's a poet, and I'm learning from him how to see others and how to see life and live a selfless, love-filled life. I believe in serving. I believe in gratitude. I can say those things sincerely. But sometime in my life, there's a disconnect when I try to put those things together. Here's the problem, and I'm not a math wizard, so help me and show me where I'm doing it wrong. In my math equation, in my real life, Sometimes what happens is I add up the things and it's one plus one equals one. Yeah, is that right? I know that's not right. But sometimes gratitude and serving often don't go together for me. Part of my sermon prep is always the beginning of the week through the middle of the week. I spend a good time, a good deal of time in prayer. And I pray and I kind of internalize everything. And then sometimes that gets a little bit later in the week and I don't have things digitally or on paper for the people that I serve with. 
and I know that's a problem. I know that I'm difficult to work with because we're as a team and we're coming, and I have vague ideas, right? But I'm internalizing it, and I'm praying about it. And there have been times when I haven't got my outline to the people I'm working with until Friday afternoon, sometimes Saturday night, and then one time, which I'm not real proud of, Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah? I understand that it's difficult to work with me. I understand that you guys need patience to work with me, but you know, if you do work with me, you can be grateful to serve because of the patience that God is necessarily putting into your life, yeah? (laughs) So Kevin, Joel, everybody, you're welcome, yeah? (laughs) Because I do internalize things and I think about it a lot, sometimes the problem for me is the prayer part. And it's not a problem. I'm grateful for it. But I always pray, God, make this apply in my own life. And sometimes it would be easier if we didn't pray those dangerous prayers, right? Because if you pray for humility, you pray for God to search your heart, you pray for him to teach you something, those are the prayers that he will always, always answer. But I believe my faith is a continual journey. That's part of it. I will always be learning something, and I always have to be learning something in humility. That's part of it. And so when I pray, God, apply this to my life, what always happens is God shows the gap. He shows the disconnect for me. But it's a posture of learning and humility, and it's all the time. So all that to say, bringing you all the way, a long way around, to tell you this morning, I want to acknowledge my sinful nature. My characteristic sin, you've heard me share it before, is a critical spirit. This critical spirit leads to other sins. It leads to wanting to blame others. It leads to a selfishness within my heart. It leads to me wanting to withdraw from the people God has called me to serve. And ultimately, it leads to ingratitude. So let me describe these in all their ugliness one at a time, and please don't hear me as doing this coolly or analytically, but with sorrow and remorse, and also gratitude for Christ and the grace of the cross. And I'm going to do it in reverse order because I think there's a truth here. I believe ingratitude is at the root of all these sins. Ingratitude leads to selfishness, and selfishness is virtually Pride, which at the broad base is the thing that is the corruption and at the bottom of it all. My ingratitude is an impulse to see the worst. An impulse to see the worst in every situation and in every person. My ingratitude is an impulse to blame others for the frustration that I am dealing with and to blame others for that. I'm quick to judge a tone of voice. I'm quick to judge an email that is short. I'm quick to judge other people's motivations. And my ingratitude creates in me an impulse that expects to be served. What's even worse, my ingratitude creates in me an impulse that I have this attitude where I feel I am owed. My ingratitude is an impulse to seek and want praise. The reason why I use impulse here is because it's not a premeditated thing. It's not something I'm thinking about, okay, it's a reaction. It's a response coming from my nature. These are all marks of original sin. 
And it is appropriate to acknowledge these marks because if we don't, these marks will become dark blemishes on our soul. So I admit the struggle. I'm not Gollum, but I'm on the road to Mordor and I can see Gollum inside of me. I admit the struggle. The transition to America coming from Mongolia hasn't been easy for me. I've let my ingratitude to serve taint my perspective. The last two years in Mongolia were difficult. We were on our own, without a team. There was too much work. And the mandate of releasing the ministry to the nationals, it was hard. And I've struggled with coming back to North America with what seems to be kind of the nature of this ethnocentric perspective and the general apathy. When we released the work to the Mongolians, a big part of me wanted to be done with serving. I'm ashamed to admit, but when people ask me, George, what do you have in transition for you next? What is happening next? I'm ashamed to admit that these words came out of my mouth. I have served. I've done my two bits for king and country. That's hard to admit. It didn't permeate my soul, but it was there. The ingratitude was there, and that's a big general sweeping comment. But it was in my spirit. Transition and ambiguity are hard. Some of you are in job transition right now. You don't know what the future of your work will hold. Some of you are facing horrible health issues right now. You don't know what the future will hold. Some of you are serving right now and you're feeling weary because there's not a lot of fruit or there's even downright opposition. And some of you want to withdraw because you have seen the ugly side of relationships. You've seen divorce firsthand, a friend has let you down, a colleague has lied about you or betrayed you. At the end of Mongolia, I felt a lot of pain and a lot of loss. I mourned the end of my job, which in a lot of ways had been my identity for 10 years. There were a lot of people I felt betrayed me. Other missionaries did not want to see us release the work to Mongolians because I get it. It was a new mandate at that time for an organization to release. And when you do anything new in an organization, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be obstacles. And I get having part of your job description saying, I'm working myself out of job. I get the tension. I get the fear in that. It was part of it for me. I got tired of watching children at risk. I got tired of putting myself out there. But God is faithful. He's tender. And I believe I will learn all my life exactly what the mystery of this new math is. Gratitude plus serving equals grateful to serve. And I want to unpack this idea because I think there are a lot of things that beat us down in life. A lot of circumstances that rob us of being grateful to serve. And I think one of the beautiful mysteries of this life is that if we get this idea, it will be a foundation of how we move out into the world and we'll find it really, really is a better place to live, a better way to live. Serving with gratitude will become the foundation, will become the root of our lives, and we'll live stronger. We'll live stronger without fear. 
And we'll live stronger without fear, not just for ourselves, not just for our families, but for those of people that God has brought into our lives. Stronger for others. And I want to look this morning at Paul in Philippians. Because last week, Kevin took us through Philippians and hit on some key ideas that directly lead into what we want to study this morning. Last week's sermon was about attitude and how attitude and serving is everything. And as we continue to look at Paul's life, we have to ask ourselves, in Philippians, where is Paul? Where is he writing this letter from? He's grateful to serve. He's talking about joy. But where has his ministry taken him to? The Apostle Paul in Philippians, he writes this letter letter of gratitude to express thanks for the church of Philippi, his affection for the church. And this is a church that he had planted. We get that in Acts 16 in the second missionary journey. And he's writing to them primarily to thank them for a gift, but he's also encouraged them. And he's also sharing a lot of his heart. This is one of Paul's most tender, personal letters. And we get a really good glimpse of his heart. He is grateful to serve, but where is he writing this from? He's writing it in prison. It seems counterintuitive. But in the midst of his deepest suffering, the midst of his deepest pain, he is grateful to serve. He is in prison when he writes Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, verses 4 through 9, these beautiful words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your quest to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Given Paul's circumstances, how can he write this? I think it's because he is truly grateful to serve. All those things I talked about before, those sins that are in my nature because original sin They lead to something. My ingratitude leads to something. It leads to critical spirit. It leads to selfishness. It leads to pride, whatever. I think this is a key because on the other side, gratitude leads to something too. Mainly all the things that Paul is talking about right here. Ultimately, if we add it up correctly, gratitude and serving leads to something new, the new math. Gratitude plus serving equals serving gratefully. And ultimately, Paul says it equals joy. Joy for this life. Paul's real straightforward. And here's where I think he's going. Kevin last week talked about the way up is down. That concept is humility. And I believe humility is first in gratitude. Gratitude starts in humility. And gratitude actually flourishes in humility. Humility to be grateful. Have you guys ever watched reality TV? Yeah? Maybe it's time for you to be honest and confess your original sin, yeah? (laughs) What's the predominant theme in reality TV? 
What I see is just a real sense of ingratitude. What I see is just a real focus on me. And what I see is in reality TV, the strategy is victim mentality. They glorify that. I'm a victim, so I deserve. I'm owed. But gratitude always involves a posture of humility. If I believe that I am owed something, I will not be thankful because I think I'm entitled to it. The sinful human race thinks they're naturally entitled. That's original sin. We believe our gifts really belong to us. Therefore, we think we're entitled to stuff, and therefore, we become less grateful. We wonder, why do the people who keep getting more and more and more seem so ungrateful? It's because as your entitlement goes up, your gratitude goes way down. My sinful mind can convince me that I'm entitled to anything that I want. Particularly if I feel like I'm serving others and serving God, what happens is if I don't get something that I want, there must be a problem. There has to be a problem because that's not how the world works. And we write up these own equations. We write up our own math equations for reality in our lives. And we say me plus serving equals getting my way. In our heads, the equation doesn't add up. Why can't everyone else see it? Because this is the way that the world works. It's simple math. It's true and it's simple. And we say to ourselves, you know, I'm serving. Shouldn't I be getting my way? Shouldn't I be getting something back? I am entitled, right? Clearly, the rest of the world doesn't understand math, so I will break it down for the world. A lot more simply, me plus serving equals I'm awesome, And everyone should know how awesome I am. That's easy enough, right? I know I'm awesome. And if you cannot see my awesomeness for just being super awesome, well, that tells me more about you than about me. Because the world would be a much better place if everybody just really had the humility to admit my awesomeness out loud, right? (laughs) Sometimes that's the way we think. But that's our sinful nature. That is the old math. Paul says that clearly. In the Christian framework, ingratitude is not just a disconnect. It's not just a depravity of my emotions. Paul says clearly it's a sin. Paul says the hallmark of a life opposed to God is this mindset of ingratitude, of thinking that we're entitled, of thinking that we're owed. Have you ever heard a church person complaining or grumbling? It happens sometimes. I think this is something that we need to take seriously because God takes it seriously. We can be lured away from God and his motives and his heart and his desire for others more easily than I think a lot of other things by grumbling and complaining. We'll serve, but we'll grumble all the way. May it never be so. Because who is Paul? Back to this context. Paul could grumble in a service, but he doesn't. Why? Because in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself. By being obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the skies as you hold firmly to the world of life. And even then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering and sacrifice and serving coming from your faith, I'm glad to rejoice with you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What is Paul saying here? Paul says, do everything without grumbling. And we have another math thing here, right? We have two negatives because the word for grumbling actually is ingratitude. Paul says, do everything without ingratitude. So what he's really saying is saying, do everything with gratitude. And he makes it really clear why we are grateful. And he does it in verses 6 through 8. This is the true meaning of grace in 6 through 8. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The true meaning of grace is this. I was empty, because Jesus humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, and therefore I am grateful. That's the definition of grace, because grace begins when one person is full and the other person is completely empty. One person is a have and the other person is a have not. One person is rich, the other person is poor, then grace comes into action and the emptiness of the one is filled up by the fullness of the other. That is exactly what Paul is talking about. And we are supplied by what Christ has. Our poverty is replaced by his wealth and his riches are free and we don't deserve it. That is the definition of grace. We do not deserve, but Jesus shows us grace. And the gratitude to Christ is more than just saying thank you with empty words. It's saying thank you in a way that has deeper meaning. Natural expression of the faith journey of gratitude is that we want to give back. We want to serve. We are overflowing with undeserved love and we want to give it back. It's how we show our gratitude. It's our life given back to God as a gift of love. A life of service to God and others because of the grace that we have received. I want to invite Carlos and Meredith Block up here uh, right now. They are working with an organization that I can fully endorse. They're working with Reach Global uh, in Peru. And um, 
the things that they're doing are the things that are close to my heart. They have a holistic ministry down in Peru. And they have things that they're working like with Che and Water Solutions and just a development center and all these things that you're doing. And I won't steal all your thunder. But what God has put in their heart, I wanted them to kind of share and how they are sharing gratefully in a difficult situation. So, Carlos, give us a little bit of scope about some of the things you're doing. Tell us how long you've been there. Okay. Um, We're working with an indigenous group called Yanesha in the central jungle of Peru, close to the Amazon. Um, the Janesa people are very poor. We came to help with theological training, but we found that there are many things to do. Our ministry is holistic now. Um, we're working for three years in Peru right now. Uh, probably you know Meredith. He was in the mountains in Peru. She was living in Peru for almost 13 years. And now we're married three years ago and working together together with this vision. Um, we're doing, uh, besides the uh, theological training, orality. We're working with, um, start working with uh, enterprise um, uh, projects, you know, sustainable projects for them, very poor. Working also with the water, provide water. They don't have power neither. Uh, working with the youth, there's a huge gap uh, between the generations. Like here, globalizations, in, in globalization impact all the youth around the world. They don't want to attend the church, even though um, pastors children. So we're working in different things like that. Maybe you can add. Thank you. Sure. Uh, can you tell us? Have you ever run into this? Have you ever run into a situation where you're serving and you think you're following God, but then some kind of opposition comes up? Well, I know you have, so why don't you tell us about that? Let me start. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, we cannot um, visit the Yanesha four months after the year because the rainy season creates uh, high waters. Um, seems to, to some get some strange ideas in their heads during that time when we, we weren't um, there to talk uh, the things out. Uh, last summer, uh, we visited them after four months, after the rainy season. We found one of the leaders had accused us of withholding funds at the meeting of all of the pastors. There were no funds. <laughs> he was imagining were funds. You know, and, uh, you know, we were so shocked on her when we found it. Right before he called us, he called us to ask us for money. Uh, but he hung up on me when I didn't promise to give him anything right away. So, we wondering, you know, if some people could believe him or in what ways this can affect our ministry. Later we found out that uh, most of the pastors had actually defended us and this guy was voted out of leadership. And then he later came back to Carlos and asked for forgiveness. 
Uh, so we, of course, you know, in this whole process, we're just like, what do we do? How do we even pray? You know, um, and in the end, the Lord showed us things that we would have not seen otherwise, that people actually do trust us if they're willing to defend us. And, uh, and he just really brought everything around. And what it taught me again is that in the midst of those situations, you have to remember what's true. Your mind goes a million directions and tells you, this is the end of your ministry. You know, you're going to go home for this or whatever. Um, you're going to have to make a big change or uh, serve in a different way. And if you can just wait and hold those feelings at bay, take captive those thoughts, you know, and focus on the truth. The truth is that God called us to this ministry, and we can go back to specific ways that he did that. The truth is that Carlos wanted to be a missionary for 15 years, and God finally... It was time, and he got to come back to Peru, and he's so excited for that privilege. The truth is that we have such good health and good health care, and we've seen missionaries go home for those kinds of reasons. So we're here. there's a purpose for us being here, and this conflict has something to do with that, and we need to focus on truth. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Did you have anything else? Oh, Any yeah, final we thing? Yep. We did. Uh, yeah. We are thank, uh, thankful to the Lord. For, to the Lord for serving, but we're helping to you because without churches like you behind us, we won't be able to minister them. Thank you so much for your prayers and your support. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So one of the things that you'll get from them, just spending any little time with them, is that they are grateful to serve. And I think one of the keys is this whole thing... When I hear their story, gratitude rubs off. Um, I think, uh, please, they'll be here. They have a table set up. Spend some time with them. Find out what they're doing. Um, it will bless you because you'll see their gratitude. You'll see them serving in a difficult place, but it will bless you as you hear a little bit of their story. And I think that's my concluding point, is that gratitude really does rub off. And... I just wanted to kind of echo what they are saying because I think Wyzetta is an amazing church. I think I'm in outreach, but you guys have made my job really, really easy because you have a love for outreach and you have a love for people. And it's because of your generous donations, your generous gifts that globally we're sending people out to a strong mission field for Wyzetta, Peru, where we've been strong for many, many years. And I think it is appropriate for us to celebrate as a congregation. I think it's appropriate for me as a staff to come up here and say thank you for your generosity because that is showing gratitude in serving. And you can see, I just want to call note to your weekly. Your weekly has the budget things on the back. You can see, I'm, I told you I'm not very good at math, but you can do it and you can look at it and look at the budget. And that has everything to do with the generosity of this church. So I wanted to say thank you too, for this generosity. Because I think as we move, and we move in unity, and we are serving gratefully, it does rub off on the person standing next to you. It rubs off on the people that are watching your lives. And I had the privilege of knowing someone whose gratitude rubbed off on me deeply. His name was uh, Phil Arndt, and he was my colleague, and he was my friend, and he was my boss for a while. And um, the one thing about Phil was that Phil was always present with you. He was always just right there with you. 
And he would see the best in everybody. He saw the best in me, and he had a way of bringing it out and pushing me and encouraging me, and I loved his spirit. And it was about 10 months ago that Phil was diagnosed with cancer and brain cancer. And those of you that know, the prognosis isn't very good for people diagnosed with this type of cancer. And three weeks ago, Phil passed. But even watching him deteriorate and even watching the cancer eat away at his brain and his mental capacity, Phil always had a smile and he was always grateful and he always had time for me. And he always thanked me and he always thanked God for me. And that had a deep impact on me. Here's what I learned from walking with Phil through his cancer. Phil had a way of being able to live with and live through the hard and difficult and disappointing things and always be grateful. He lived his life for others. He lived out his life like a thank you note to God. His life was one big thank you note to God. And it was a thank you note the way that he wrote it. He wrote it to an amazing, faithful, good God, a loving God. And Phil was a precious gift for me. His gratitude rubbed off on me. Because when you are serving gratefully, you're going to be such an encouragement to those people around you. Even if you don't know it, people are watching you, watching how you live, what you say, how and if you love other people. And a life well lived is a life gratefully serving. I had a gift. I was able to say goodbye and thank you to Phil before he passed. And if you have someone like that in your life, but the gratitude has rubbed off on you, tell them thank you. Tell them that you love them. With your words, yes, of course, with your words, but also with your actions. Tell them that you love them by finding ways to serve them. What's the key for me in serving gratefully? Well, it's back to this prayer thing. I'm thankful for prayer. I'm thankful for the quiet moments, and I'm thank you, thankful for what my Savior teaches me, and I'm thankful for what he shows me. It's from this passage, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to the Lord. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How shall we do this? Paul says it in three words, with prayer. Yeah, And prayer in this context is kind of the big general devotion type of stuff, including different kinds of prayer. But he also has a very specific word there, a narrow word where he says petition. And this is where we're actually going to God and asking him for help for specific things in our lives. But then the context of this, and it's not... It's the flavor of it is with thanksgiving. That's that humble, non-demanding attitude that is just part of prayer always. Making requests thankfully means that we, are con- we will be content and we will be grateful with whatever God puts in our lives. People, circumstances, and we will trust that he's wise and he's loving. When we let our requests be known to God like this, in devotion, in prayer, in many specific requests to him, 
with thankfulness. We will trust that everything that God has designed for us, the pleasures and the pain in serving, are his good gifts. And when we can do it like that, Paul tells us ultimately that that is joy, that we will not be anxious, that the peace will come into our souls that surpasses all understanding. So finally, if we come around to it, we see that being grateful to serve really does equal joy. Think about the relationships that you're grateful for. A friend, a family member, a co-worker, a brother, a sister, thank God for them. Go to that person and thank them for being an encouragement in your life, for carrying you when you couldn't walk on your own. And then, as we see in Philippians, take it a step further and thank God for them. Thank you, God, for my friend. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. I can thank God. I thank God for my mom. From my mom, I got a compassionate heart. My mom cares for others. I can thank God for my dad. My dad has a heart for others and a heart for Scripture. I can thank you. I can thank God for my wife, my wife who has loved me unconditionally through a lot of things. I can thank God for my children, my beautiful kids who constantly remind me what life is all about. I can thank God for Wyzetta, for how you've stood behind us for so long. And I thank God for the people that I work with, the authenticity and their love, their clear love for God. I couldn't do anything without them. Show your love to the people around you through selfless service. That's our prayer this morning, that God will show us how to serve others. We love them in their own unique Love language. We find out who they are, how they receive love, and then we step into that. What we do is we do life with them. We laugh with them. We weep with them. We go really deep with them. We love them like Jesus loves them. There are literally hundreds of ways to say thank you to others and to God with our lives. With your lips, say thank you to God, but also show it with how you live. Trust that God is big enough and loving enough to hold you in the midst of whatever you're going through. I am always encouraged when I meet a skeptic. I'm kind of the referral for skeptics, but I'm encouraged because when I meet a skeptic, we go through the worldviews. We go through the different philosophies, and I am always reminded every time that how much in my soul I'm grateful for the cross because of the cross is the thing that reminds me that Jesus is the only one that comes and meets us in the midst of our life, no matter what we're going through, because he went through it and he suffered and died and rose again. And it's through prayer that I meet Christ. It's through this prayer in Philippians where we are reminded what prayer is all about. I can come to God with anything, with anything. But how I come and pray matters. I must not complain. I must not grumble because that short circuits the process. And it doesn't hurt me, it hurts people around me. But when I come and I say thank you to him with my lives, with gratitude, I'm able to move out and I'm able to gratefully serve. God's a good God. A loving God, a providing, a caring God. When times are great, when times are tough, God does not change. And he's worth saying thank you to. With our lives. So we have choices every day to uniquely and refreshed ways say thank you to God with our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, God, 
Thank you for your many good gifts. I thank you for the people in my life that lift me up. Teach me to show them your love. I thank you for the privilege of serving your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of seeing people who never heard your name pick up a Bible and read it for the first time. I thank you for the laughter of the kids I've served. I thank you that I've seen your love change lives. Lord, today is a new day. It's your day. Thank you for it, Jesus. I love you. I'm ready. Here I am. Send me. Jesus, we as your church, your precious, your precious church, Wazetta, we come before you now and say, we love you. Here we are. We're ready. Send us. Thank you for the privilege to serve. It's in your name. Amen.